It Was Almost Real, the Pro Wrestling History Podcast, Episode 34. Welcome to this episode of It Was Almost Real, the Pro Wrestling History Podcast. My name is Ken Zimmerman Jr., and this is the podcast dedicated to the history of professional wrestling between 1870 and 1920, although sometimes we'll stretch into the 1930s. And in this episode, we discuss the wrestling schedule of Ed Strangler Lewis during 1913. But first, I'm joined in the studio once again by my cousin Dangerous Dan, and have we got a bunch of wrestling news and updates to go over. Boy, do we ever. <laughs> so, just to jump in, we're going to have, this episode will come out on October 13th, and then we will have uh, episode on October, uh, yeah, this comes out on October 13th, mm-hmm. and then we'll have an episode on October no, I'm wrong, Dan. This this episode will come out on October 9th. Oh, okay. And then we'll have one come out on the 23rd, uh-huh. 22nd, and the 29th. Oh, okay. Very good. Yeah. So we'll have three episodes on Monday this month, and then we'll have uh, two more episodes in November, two more episodes in December, and then if I can con Dan into it next year, we will record most Mondays with the exception of the third uh, Monday, which will be a written blog post on the website. I'm not working today after Super Bowl Sunday either. <laughs> Just to let you know. Well, we don't have to worry about that. And the prodigal son will return. He's dealing with some family stuff lately, but everything's uh, coming out well. The uh, a member of his. Um, in-laws or is doing much better so that's all coming out well and we'll have him back on the show i'd like to get him on for the so the second december show is actually going to come out on christmas day oh okay we'll record it long before that well, yeah. but it's actually going to come out <laughs> on christmas day and he's never heard the happy happy christmas song so i thought we'd have to make sure that he oh heard that. oh yes the happy happy christmas song is yep. gonna be yeah and speaking of that do you remember that award-winning country and western song that we wrote when we were teenagers? But yeah, never? but we can't repeat. Well, we can't our say lyrics. one of the words. Yeah, <laughs> but it involved twelve-dollar whiskeys and a. No, it was the other way. It's oh, that's Three-dollar right. whiskey. whiskey. The word we can't say is a very vulgar reference to a lady of the evening, but the, basically the lyrics were three-dollar whiskey, twelve-dollar this reference. That's fifteen bucks. I ain't got no more. Mm-hmm. And if you throw in about your wife leaving you and your old dog blue, that is a million dollar selling and country your western truck. song. Yeah, you gotta get the pickup truck in there. I forgot about that. But yeah, you get all that in there, that's a million dollar Oh, song absolutely. There. And I can't believe any nobody's recorded that song yet. Yeah. Well, you know, I can't believe that the country music fans in the family would get a little irritated when we'd start singing that song. Well, because they say we were being sacrilegious or not holding true to the, well, you know what I said to that. <laughs> Yeah. When you had to ride with my father unit anywhere and the eight track yes, we had an eight track in the family mobile back then, folks. Uh Willie Nelson, Ernest Tubb, or any other um country music act I, I was in I, there. I thought I had it bad. <laughs> yeah. Dad just made me listen to W I L every time we went anywhere. Oh, okay. So uh our fathers were country music aficionados, and we were stuck listening to that all the time. So growing up, so we don't have a warm feeling in our. You know, I don't mind some of the Garth Brooks stuff, mm-hmm. and I have an appreciation for uh, Waylon Jennings I didn't have when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But I still, that you know, that was just this side of child abuse. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know? Dad never ever hit me. He just made me listen to country music. I'd rather you hit me. All right, exactly. That's it's a lot less uh, painful and it gets over quicker. Yeah. So one of the things I also wanted to uh, touch up. You know what? Let's do the um, get all the updates about the shows out. 
Oh, okay, yeah. And then let's go into the news itself. But uh, okay. part of what I want to talk about is this episode that I'm covering, and in this episode I had to revise and extend my remarks like they do in Congress because I screwed up twice. Number one, I said this was going to be Ed Strangler Lewis's schedule in 1912, and I don't even think he was Ed Strangler Lewis yet in 1912. It's actually going to be 1913. And we're only going to do the first six months because I'm already at 20 matches. If I did the whole year, this would be a five-hour podcast. And, and I'm not Jim Cornette. Yeah, nobody's <laughs> going to listen to that. So we're, we're actually just going to focus on the first six months. But this, the reason I wanted to look at this anyway is because my next book project is actually going to be about the early career of Ed Strangler Lewis. Because one, there's not a ton out there about it. And number two, a lot of the things that people believe are true, like he changed his name so his parents wouldn't know he's a professional wrestler, were not correct. Okay. Um, as a matter of fact, I think the reason he became Ed Strangler Lewis was as simple as the fact that there was a Bob Fredericks, who was one of the established Kentucky wrestlers already, uh-huh. and Robert Friedrich, which is Ed Strangler Lewis's real name, is too close to that. Oh, okay. So it was just simply, that's why he changed it, and he when he changed it, he took a name... Uh, an homage of one of the original Wisconsin, really, because uh, Ed Strangler-Lewis, Robert Friedrich, is from Nakusa, uh, Wisconsin. Yeah. Evan Strangler-Lewis, up to that point, was probably the most famous Wisconsin professional wrestler of all time. Yeah. Now, That's why he became Ed Strangler-Lewis. Right. Now, Ed Strangler-Lewis, being from Wisconsin, though, he was still based out of Kentucky for the... For 1913. All yeah. of 1913, yeah. yeah. Whereas uh, Evan... He was from Wisconsin, but based out of Chicago for most of his career. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, WWE, back in the news. Did it ever leave? I don't know. So, they're already under new ownership. Yep. And the first order of business, of course, was to release more wrestlers and tick the fans off and make them hate the company even more. And they also announced that they're leaving Fox, the network, broadcast for USA Network and they're going to have four NBC specials. I don't think the second one is that big a deal either way, but the releasing the wrestlers, that's the first thing you do when you take over the new company. Right. Why didn't they talk to Triple H and Vince about doing that before the ownership switch? Exactly. Because now the first action you take is the new owners is you cut wrestlers which always ticks the fans off. Oh yeah, absolutely because you know there might be some guy that's very, very minimal to the company, but he's still going to have fans. Yeah. And that person will be like, well, I'm not going to be able to see, you know. And Dolph Ziggler had a lot of fans because people oh, yeah. thought he got a raw deal all these years. Oh, he did. Having to be beat by everybody, but, you know, the uh, guy mopping up in the back or, yeah. you know, when you put everybody over right. and done it well. Yeah. Who did they get to put Braun Breaker over last year? Dolph Ziggler. Yes, because he can lead guys to very good matches. Mm-hmm. And I think that he got a raw deal on that. The guy's been there for 20 years. Make him make him a trainer. Yes. Bring, put him in over at NXT. You telling me that they couldn't use him as a trainer with I, some of the stuff that they're putting in the ring now? Yes, I know. That's why I said he's getting, he's getting shafted. Although, Tony Khan now will have the opportunity to add him to AEW. And oh, Jesus. He would be a great trainer for AEW, too. He would be a great trainer for AEW. God knows they need it. But Tony Khan is such an idiot. And yes, if you you know Tony Khan, you tell him that Dan said he's an idiot. But I wanted to say something nice about Tony Khan this time. Because we really did kind of blast him last time. Yeah. Deservedly so. Yeah. But but we really kind of blasted him. I want to say something nice about him this time. Uh, Elon Musk has done a lot stupider stuff than he has over the like past six years. Changed the name of Twitter to X. X. Yes. <laughs> but, but, stick to making electric cars. Yeah. You buy this social media thing that's been around forever. You make a bunch of changes that ticks everybody off, mm-hmm. and then you rebrand it to X. If I'm sitting here and I tell you, "Hey, I'm going to go uh, get on X," you think I'm going to go on a porn site? Right. You know? Exactly. It's like, give me a break. So, uh, Tony, you're not nearly as dumb as Elon Musk has been lately, so we wanted to say something nice about you before we start ripping apart uh, your booking. Which we're about to do. (laughs) Because, you know, you can bring Dolph Ziggler. You can bring any one of those 
released wrestlers over to AEW, and that's fine. But you're not going to replace a wrestler of CM Punk's caliber. No. Or drawing power. No. So You might get a bump in the ratings for one week by bringing Dolph Ziggler up. You're mm-hmm. not going to draw a million people to your pay-per-view. Right, exactly. You know, that, but... And that's one of the things we brought up X and Twitter. I, I had talked to you about this actually a week or two ago when I saw it. I don't know what the latest brouhaha was, but there was something that happened. I don't, I don't think it was a CM Punk firing. I think it was something else. But every time something happens, you can go on Twitter and the AEW fans and the WWE fans are taking chunks out of each other because neither one of them likes either one of the... the others companies and I tell you right now if we were not doing a wrestling podcast about historic wrestling I probably wouldn't be watching any wrestling nowadays yeah because I look at WWE as horrible either community theater or public access television mm-hmm. it is very substandard acting and writing yeah. You've got a bunch of frustrated Hollywood writers on the WWE creative team. Yeah. And they spend more time on the skits. The only thing worth watching anymore is the pay-per-views because all that junk is out of it. That's for the weekly TV show. Yeah, exactly. And, well, you know. And then AEW is Extreme Gymnastics. Mm-hmm. It's a bunch of moves that in and of themselves could look cool, but it leads to nothing. Exactly. It's like you get out there, do everything we know how to do, and then the match just ends. This made no sense whatsoever. Right. I do want to, uh, in the next w- couple weeks, I haven't had a chance to look at it yet, but I've heard it's a very good match, and I like uh, Buddy Matthews quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I would like to review that AEW match of Buddy Matthews and Andre Ilitolo. Oh, okay. Just to see if that was something that I would think stands up. Yeah. Um, because AEW does have some wrestlers I like. I really wish it was a more viable company. But the problem with AEW is it's booked by a fan. Yeah. And it's booked like a fan would book it. Right. They want to put together the things that they were interested in seeing, but there's nothing that leads to why we would be seeing this in the first right. place. There's no uh, run-ins. There's no cheap shots. There's no, okay, why is all of a sudden these guys feuding? They're just you just brought them out. It's there's just no continuity. Right, exactly. And it's it's frustrating because I really would like to see a viable company against WWE. Uh, the stuff that Vince has done here, Tony. I'll say mm-hmm. something nice about you again. At least you're not out there sexually harassing the employees and doing things that should preclude Vince from being the executive chairman of this company anymore. Exactly. And Endeavor, that's their fault, and it's Vince's fault for not having the tact in class to step down when all of that garbage came out. You know, I can't... He gave his paramour a job. Those people have done that for years. Oh, yeah. But he also... Some of those things that he paid out were also to settle sexual harassment Uh suits if the information we heard about those was correct in the first place. Yeah. So he should not even be the executive chairman. He anymore. should be in jail. Well, if he did some of the things that they've said, I mean, they're, they're, you can't use company funds to pay off for your malfeasance. Right. There, there are a thing. That's why he's under federal investigation right now. Exactly. Um, you know, I'm loath to always say we should be putting people in jail because I hate now the way everybody wants to put people they don't politically agree with in jail anymore. Well, and not. it's both sides. I'm not giving yeah. anybody a pass in this. Mm-hmm. I don't like the fact that we want to weaponize the criminal justice system when we don't agree with people. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, I'm always loath to. But as you point out, there could be criminal wrongdoing here. He could have been misappropriating company funds All right. to pay this. And now that he's paying it back, well, yeah, you've got the money to pay it back. But a lot of people would not. It's still a crime, whether you pay it back or not. Yeah, well, if you sexually misappro- assaulting. Uh, oh yeah, I mean, if there was any of that, you definitely should be in jail. Yeah, no, no question. And if it's anybody I know, you get your. Well, <laughs> I can't say that on the podcast. Right. Uh, let's use a wrestling term. You'd get stretched. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then there was another thing that kind of came out in the news, and I actually heard this on. The Jim Cornette experience, I think, or the drive-through, but I actually agree with what uh, Dana said, and um, 
I don't agree with Jim and Brian's take, but it's because they're not MMA fans. Right. Um, I, but I agree with him 100% when he said the original fans for the uh, MMA were wrestling fans, and they were. Mm-hmm. They were people like me who were interested to find out. I always wanted, if wrestling was real, who would the, who, the wrestlers right. be that were on top. Right. And that was the fan base for a lot of the early MMA, and that was a crossover audience. Mm-hmm. Jim says that is not true anymore, and Dana White definitely says it's not true anymore. And our Jim took exception with Dana saying that's not true anymore, but I do believe Dana's correct in this because I would not be watching wrestling if we weren't doing a wrestling podcast based on history. Well, I, what what do I what do I tell you every week when I how, how do I watch wrestling? It's a fifteen minute recap show. On YouTube every week. Right. It, I can go through the Peacock yeah. weekly shows. Uh huh. I can go through seven hours of programming in about 20 minutes. Yeah. Because if I watch one thing, it will be, that will be surprising that I, I find one thing during. When the Bloodline stuff was coming on, it probably took me 25 minutes because I'd watch whatever they did. Right, yeah. And if there happened to be a match on Raw that caught my attention, which, and I will say, I really love the Dominic Mysterio, Rhea Ripley stuff for a while. You know what? They have chemistry. And actually, you know, when I, when when Dominic first came out, you know, he's not a physically imposing guy. He's a little, he's taller than his dad, but he should be he's the just, chicken crap heel. He is he the prototypical. And he is, like I said, he's a heel, and he looks like that he belongs down at Joe's garage, changing the oil on your car. Yes. Instead of being a wrestler, but I'll tell you what, the more I watch Dominic, I'm actually starting to like the kid. Or well, what I'm seeing on the right on he the recap plays shows. that role yeah. very very well, and he and Rhea together have great chemistry. Oh, they do, you know? they do. It reminds me of the the old Ellery Queen movies. Um, the star actress. The last three movies she did was with William Gargan, and uh-huh. they were a real-life couple. Uh-huh. But she had much better on-screen film chemistry with the first actor that had been in the first two or three movies with her. Oh, okay. And it kind of reminds me, Rhea obviously is engaged to Buddy Matthews. Yeah. But she has great on-screen chemistry with uh, Dominic. Yeah, th- th- she does. And, you know, Dominic's out there taking bumps and getting his, his hind end handed to him. Which he should be as a chicken crap heel. I mean, exactly. he plays that character great. But you know what? I, I still, I'm still not completely sold on him. But he's starting to grow on me. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that's what I'm saying is most of the people that watch MMA now do not watch pro wrestling, right. and I wouldn't do it if because there is no, there's not much of a pretense anymore that these guys are particularly tough. Some right. of them are, but for the most part, I mean, Brock is. Yeah. Um, Roman Reigns, just because of his size, you wouldn't want to be, you know, Yeah. trying to mess with him. But go to AEW. Mm-hmm. I am bigger than half the roster. My yeah, son, Caleb, oh, yeah. is much bigger than, you know, he's probably bigger than all about 10% of that roster. Yeah. It's just not physically believable that you look at these guys and think they could beat up anybody. Right. And you know, I think that's... So that's not the audience you're getting anymore. Those, mm-hmm. that, that audience watches MMA now. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, nowadays in wrestling, you're lacking your classic tough guys. Harley Race, Andre, Haku. All these guys. Uh, Arn Anderson. What these do you think Harley would have done if some guy like Orange Cassidy said, hey, I'm going to jump out of the ring on you with my hands in my pockets and uh, you need to catch me. I think uh, Harley would have said, well, kid, you're going to hit your head on the mat. Yeah, because it was going to be one of two things. Harley would just walk away or Harley would punch him in the face as he came through the ropes. Yeah, exactly. It would happen one time. Uh Uh-huh. You you just don't have that anymore. So I think by and large... You and I have talked about it. We didn't watch wrestling for a long time. Right. Mm-hmm. And we had gone to different things. I think the traditional wrestling fans of the 80s and 90s, for the most part, are gone and don't watch this new style of wrestling. Right. Well, it's like, a, and like I've told you before, and, and we've discussed this, that 
I wish they'd go back to the days of the old territories. I'm trying to fool somebody. Yeah. Yes, we all know it was work. To be honest, most of us knew that it was a work back then. We mm-hmm. we knew that the, the some of the stuff we were seeing was not correct, and there was funny stuff going on and all of that. Oh yeah. Huh. But you could suspend your disbelief to enjoy the show and that, but you can't do it when nobody's trying to. Exactly. That's one of the things that turned me off on AEW so quickly was the obvious cooperation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hate that. I don't like it when I see it in WWE either when they're standing on top rope. But yeah. now I brought back to my, my thought. Huh. The whole thing about the two groups of fans not being able to get along. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I oh, think you yeah. and I are probably as close as cousins can be, you know. It's almost oh, yeah. big brother, little brother sometimes. Mm-hmm. You love auto racing. Oh, yeah. The Indianapolis 500, you look forward to it every year. And the World 600. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the Daytona 500. Yeah, I I would mark my calendars. You say, hey, you want to go do something on February 5th? No, uh-uh. Yep. And I knew that. I knew you loved auto racing. You know I have no use for auto racing. I've never enjoyed it. I've never watched it. I'm going to probably get stuck doing it because my grandson, I think, is going to love it. You know what? He's a good kid. (laughs) But I never felt the need to come to you and go, Oh, I can't believe you don't like this. Oh, I can't believe you like car racing. What's wrong with you? Right. And start yelling at you and telling you what's wrong with you. And I don't think you're a big MMA fan, are you? I am not. I I follow it very, very, very loosely. I know. uh, I followed it more when uh, people like Randy Couture, Chuck Liddell, uh, Anderson Silva were were big names back then. But as nowadays you could say, hey, Dan, name an MMA wrestler. I'm going to name maybe two, maybe three. And that's after going, oh, wait a minute. I got to, you know. Right. We've never felt the need to chastise the other one about liking something that I didn't like. Right, exactly. And vice versa. And the other thing is, I mean, these, the fans act like you've just told them their baby's ugly. Yeah. If you don't like AEW and they're an AEW, or WWE and they're a WWE fan. Yeah. And I don't like you that much. <laughs> but they act like you just told them their baby is ugly. Right, they can't believe if that you If you say don't... something about my kids or my grandkids. Mm-hmm. Or you say something about somebody I care about. Yeah, I might get mad. I might say something to you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you threaten them, I might stretch you. Yeah, exactly. But I'm not going to get all upset. If you don't like... Um, you've never watched a Mexican television show in your life. Uh, the only Mexican uh, television I've ever watched was uh, Lucha Libre. Yeah, so you you never watched a Mexican television show. Yeah. I love El Dragon. Yeah. All right? If you watch an episode of Elder Grown and said that was the boringest thing I've ever seen, I couldn't make heads or tails out of that, I'm not going to chastise you and get upset about it. Or if you say, you know, the guy that was playing that part of that guy you like, he's an idiot. Yeah. I don't care. I don't know these people. I'm not going to get upset about it. Eat your own. If everybody liked the same thing, this would be a very boring world. Right, it's like on Vikings. And we'd have a shortage of some things and an overabundance of everything else. Well, we both like to show Vikings, but we have different favorite characters. Yes. Yours is Ivar. Yep. You know, mine was Loki. Yep. Uh, You know, now, and are are we going to sit here and go, oh, I can't believe you don't like (laughs) Ivar. Exactly. I'm not saying I don't, but he's not my favorite. Or to have an argument about the people who play the characters. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't get why people get to... They talk about the person like they know them. Yeah, like so, they're their best friends. Right. Nelly's one of my favorite uh, artists. I love his music. Uh-huh. I've seen every episode of Nellyville probably two or three times. What I know about Nelly is from what I've seen in the TV show and uh, heard him talk about. I don't know Nelly personally. We are not buds. I've seen this much of his life, and if you could see us... I'm holding up my fingers about an inch and a half apart mm-hmm. because you only get a glimpse into a very small section of that person's life. And that's just it, like me with Jimmy Buffett. I've watched his concert DVDs. I've been to his concerts. But could I walk up and say, hey, Jimmy, how you doing? Did it? No, because I'd get tackled by security. But, right. You know, it's not like, you know, but people act like they have a relationship with them. Yeah. And they will fight you quicker over that than if you insulted somebody in their family. Exactly. And I don't get it. I don't either, so, and I probably never will. Right. So, well, I guess what we're telling you guys is, don't worry, be happy. That's right. Relax, take a chill pill. 
And the last bit of news we've got to cover before we get into the main content is, and this one actually is a sad one, and I, I told you before the show, I don't think I ever saw this wrestler wrestle live or on a show in real time. So I, And neither did I. And so. it's Brett Wayne Sawyer, who's the brother of Buzz Sawyer. Buzz Sawyer is the head case. Brett Sawyer was a pretty decent Pretty decent guy. human being. And it's very sad. He was only 63 years old. So, again, another wrestler who dies too young. We have way too much of that. But we want to send out our condolences to his family. I have seen some of his matches uh, since. I think the stuff he did in Portland yeah. and then the Georgia stuff where mm -hmm. he came out as Buzz's brother. And I, I think they yeah. were, both of those were pretty good runs. He was a pretty good underneath baby face. Yeah, he was. Um, so we wanted to send out our condolences there. Yes. So after all of that, <laughs> let's get into the main content of the all show. All right. I'm going so if, if you came around for history, this is the part of the show that you're going to want to stick around for. So in this episode, I wanted to talk about the wrestling schedule of Ed Strangler Lewis in 1913. And initially... I thought that I was going to cover the whole year, but I'm already up to uh, 20 matches. And if you go back to the Evan Strangler-Lewis episode, he wrestled nine matches in all of 1886. Yeah. And part of it is travel. Um, the other part of it is now, instead of just going to the big markets, some of the smaller markets are starting to develop. Well, and that's what I was, what uh, got me, Ken, is, you know, uh, Evan... Strangler Lewis is up there. He's in Chicago. He's wrestling, like you said, in big markets. Kentucky. I yep. mean, we're talking 1913 Kentucky. I don't even know if they've got running water down there yet. Or in oh, no, yeah, you, you've got you've you know. got electricity. Now, Louisville's a big, big town. Well, yeah. But most of the matches they actually had were in Lexington. Yeah. And I actually have the population figures before we get into his schedule. Oh, okay. So, in 1913, uh -huh. in Louisville... It was a population of 223,928. You know what? That surprises me. I thought it, I didn't think it would be that much. Lexington's population was 35,099. Okay, yeah. And then Paris, Kentucky, where they had the one spot show that we'll talk about, that was 5,859 people. You so know, and this, is, and this was in what, 19, uh, 1913? 1913. And just think of the hometown where my folks were from. It's still only 4,800. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things is um, Lewis was based out of Kentucky for this year. Uh huh. And he primarily wrestled out of Lexington because that's where he was living. And he was the coach for, I think, the college. Uh, oh. Wrestling and boxing coach for the college. I think no. there was a college in Lexington. It was either Lexington's college or a high school, but he was oh, the right. wrestling and boxing coach. So kind of like um, George Animal Steel would disappear every year between yeah. <laughs> September and May. Because he was teaching school in <laughs> yeah. Detroit. And he was one of the coaches. He was like a football coach up there, yeah. I believe. Yeah. So Lewis begins the year wrestling on January 24th, 1913, about four weeks into the year. Uh-huh. And he st his first match is in Louisville, Kentucky against Bob Fredericks. And that's what I referenced at the beginning of the show. Yeah. I will know for certain in another couple of months when I'm done with the research and have the book written. Uh-huh. But I think the reason he might have changed his name to Ed Strangler Lewis, which would be the name he would be known at for the rest of his career, mm -hmm. was just because you weren't going to have Robert Friedrich wrestling in the same area as right. Bob Fredericks because the right. fans would have had trouble keeping them straight. Yeah, I would have had, I, now I would have had trouble keeping them straight. Yeah. But he changed his name. That's right. <laughs> and back then you only got the newspapers to go by. Right, you know, exactly. You didn't have yeah. TV or anything else. Mm -hmm. so. And then Lewis wins this match, two out of three falls. It's a work match where they're trading falls back and forth. Right. I only think there might be one contest, and I don't think it was an actual contest at first. I believe Lewis was working all of these matches in 1913, uh -huh. except the one that I'll point out, which I think devolved into a bit of a uh, shoot only because one of the guys either didn't want to go along with the finish or started... Uh, going into business for himself uh -huh. and Lewis shutting down. Oh, okay. So a week later on January 31st, 1913, 
Uh, Lewis Russell's another shooter, William Demetrio in Louisville. Mm -hmm. They're working though. Yeah. And in a work match, Demetrio wins when Lewis strikes his head on the floor and is unable to continue. This was one of the ways that uh, the wrestlers, if they wanted to add a little drama to it or make it uh, save face for one of the wrestlers to build up future matches, uh -huh. Odd things would happen, like they'd strike their head on the floor. Frank Gotch was the first one to do it. Yeah. In his work return matches with Fred Beal, he supposedly hit his head on a ring post, un you know, knocked him silly. Yeah. Beal beats him, and then three weeks later, he beats Beal for the American title. Oh, okay. It, they're both matches were worked. Right. Yeah. So, um, so that was kind of a common tactic. On February sixth, he is now in Lexington. And Demetrio was supposed to wrestle Bob Fredericks in Lexington, mm -hmm. but Demetrio couldn't get to town, so Lewis stepped in since he lived there. Oh, what was the primary source of travel between Lexington and? I'm Portland? thinking a train. It was, was, it, train? It, was okay. it was 80 miles. Yeah, you, you could take. Uh, I guess it would have been a, a horse and buggy. Borrow. Um, yeah. Because I mean, you would have had cars in 1913, but I don't know. You'd have roads. They'd probably have about. 13 miles an hour so yeah my, my guess is there was a because trains were all over the country yeah and we had lots of passenger trains and my guess is it was a train okay. service between it's 80 miles yeah between uh, Lexington and Louisville okay and then it's less than 20 miles from Lexington to Paris okay so it was probably all trains so that's my guess is it's trains you got you got to be kind of slow not to catch a train but anyway yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he was slow or the train Something happened with the train. Yeah, because trains are always late, too. Yeah. So Lewis stepped in, and the men wrestled to a draw, but Lewis was considered the loser because he had said he would throw Fredericks twice in an hour. I think the promoter was just trying to preserve the Demetrio-Fredericks match. Right. And you're not going to let Lewis beat him. No, uh-uh. But they didn't necessarily want Fredericks to beat Lewis either, so... And then on February 19th, 1913, again, I'm going to quit saying 1913 since all these matches are 19. Right. So on February 19th, Lewis wrestled Jack Stone in Lexington. And the men traded falls before Stone suffered an injury and had to forfeit the match to Lewis. Again, we're seeing this kind of common pattern here. You don't want a clean victory, so right. somebody strikes ahead, has to forfeit. Or On February 22nd, he goes back to Louisville, so he's... Travels 80 miles up to Louisville, and he defeats Doc Domer of Chicago in two straight falls in less than 49 minutes. This, I also believe, was a work, but Doc Domer couldn't have beat Lewis no matter what. So mm -hmm. Now, the next match on March 6th, which is back in Lexington, this is the match I think may have turned into a shoot from oh, a work. Okay. There's a German wrestler named Harry Faust, and the only time I found him so far in Kentucky at all in 1913 is in this match. Oh, okay. So he comes and he wrestles Lewis, and Lewis, even at 21 years of age, was capable of handling himself and had some carnival catches, catch, catch training. Mm hmm. Catches, catch, catch. Catch as catch can training. Okay. Um, and maybe false, just. Thought he was going to try Lewis because Lewis was only 21. But Lewis needed only 22 and 18 minutes to pin Faust in straight falls. And the reason I think it started to turn into a bit of a contest was uh, Faust started using rough tactics on uh, Lewis. He elbowed him in the face. Oh. He drug his uh, arm across his nose, and I think he bloodied his nose. Oh. Kind of so threw then, a couple of potatoes, huh? Yeah. So then I think Lewis quit cooperating so much and just kind of beat him. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, but that was probably started out as a work and ended up as more of a contest. On March 12th, Lewis defeats Gus Chamoy, a Greek wrestler, in two straight falls. Mm -hmm. I think this is just somebody Walls. Uh, Jerry Walls was the promoter at the time. Um, I think this is just somebody Walls brought in for him to beat. Right. So then on March 14th, Lewis wrestles to a draw with Young Olsen, who, after looking at the newspaper articles, it's Charlie Olsen, who was based out of St. Louis for oh, quite a bit. Okay. Um, he actually killed at least one wrestler. Oh. Um, I think this one he claimed was purpose, and one was an accident for sure. 
he supposedly in Canada got mad at a wrestler and threw him out of the ring head first. Oh. And the guy died and he didn't really care. Yeah. But uh, he was wrestling under a different name in Texas against another a guy from Colorado uh-huh. who's also, they knew who each other was, the fans didn't. And he put a full Nelson on the guy and broke his neck accidentally. Oh, gosh. Him. Yeah. And um, they, they said that one haunted him. Yeah, I'm sure it did. But, yeah, he wrestled. Now, and Olsen had a really developed reputation at that time. Lewis did not quite have that reputation yet. Uh-huh. So a draw with Olsen, you could tell that Walls is trying to build Lewis up as okay. a, a big... And I was going to ask you, um, you know, today they say that, oh, there's a bunch of jobbers, if you will, enhancement talent. Um, was that really a thing back in that time, or was it more people were pretty much... Not the way we think of it today. There wasn't, you know, a bunch of local wrestlers who would just come in and do the job to a big... But yes, um, there were guys that you could get to come in from a different town if you wanted to put your guy over. Yeah. And you could also get guys like Charlie Olson if you paid him good money yeah. to come in and help build up, you know, like Lewis. Um, mm-hmm. Because Wall brought not only brought in Olson, but he also brought in Dr. Ben Roller. Oh, okay. And Dr. Ben Roller was a huge star uh-huh. in the 19-teens. He had wrestled Frank Gotch a couple times. Yeah. He trained George Hackenschmidt for the second Gotch Hackenschmidt. Oh, match. okay, yeah. Uh-huh. So he was a very well-known name. And Jerry Walls, who was the promoter in Lexington and Louisville, brought him in to try to build Lewis up as well. Oh, okay. So he definitely saw a lot in Lewis. Yeah, I was just wondering if there was like a, a big pool of, you know, guys from Louisville that were... There would not have been. Okay. Um, and a lot of times you brought guys, so if you're in Louisville and Lexington, you might reach into Indiana or Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could even go as far as St. Louis and that to bring in guys who are just getting started or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your guy beats them because they're not coming back. So they right. don't care if they're putting somebody over. Gotcha. Because they're not coming back. And in this era, we're definitely going more heavily towards work matches, mm-hmm. but there were still contests occasionally. Right, yeah. And you'd have guys show up and say, no, I'm not putting your guy over. And it would turn into a contest. Right, yeah. Um, that doesn't really happen today. People like to talk about shoots, but they're not really shoots. Mm-hmm. They're when people quit cooperating with you. Like we were talking about Nia Jax and Charlotte Flair. Right, yeah. Where they kind of got into a fisticuff in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. that, that they weren't shooting. They weren't trying to change the outcome of the match. They just got mad at each other yeah. and started pounding on each other. So... On March 28th, Lewis wrestles Charlie Olsen again, and this time he wins two of the three, two of the three falls in the two out of three fall match. Mm-hmm. This also occurs in Lexington. So this is Lewis's ninth match, which is how many Evan Lewis had in all of 1886. So right. at the end of March, he's already had as many matches. So you're now starting to see the differences that travel allows you, the fact that you can put on these, uh, these uh, matches in smaller venues and still draw enough of a crowd to justify holding them and stuff. Right. And when you start getting into the 20s and airplane traveling, uh, vehicle travel gets to be more and more prevalent, now they're going to start wrestling, not every day yet, not the 350 days we're going to talk about at the end of this month. Right. But you're talking, you know, they're, they're starting to have hundred matches, hundreds of matches a year instead of dozens. Or, as back in this, you know, back in Evan Lewis's day, a dozen or less. Well, now, if you listen to Hulk Hogan, he wrestled 400 days one year. Yeah. (laughs) If you listen to Hulk Hogan, you're going to believe all kinds of crazy stuff. (laughs) You're still bogus to me, buddy boy. That's right. And so, um, this was big news because Olsen, the newspaper claims, had not dropped two falls in 10 years. Oh, okay. I, I doubt that is the case. Yeah. There were all kinds of wild claims that you couldn't... There was no mass media then. I was going to say, so you, you couldn't could substantiate. substantiate the claims. Yeah. So lots like, of crazy claims were made because they knew there was no way... Almost every foreign wrestler that ever came to the United States was a champion where they oh, came from. Yes, uh-huh. But they probably weren't. Okay. They probably weren't the champion of Creek Water uh, Europe, but, yeah. you know... Mm-hmm. That's... that's you just couldn't verify those kinds of things back then. But right. 
he was a huge star, and he had beat a lot of name people. He had had matches with Gotch and yeah. uh, all of them. So people knew who Charlie Olsen was. Yeah. On April 8th, Lewis would wrestle Eddie Schultz in Lexington. Lewis won the last two falls of this two out of three falls match. And he used a stranglehold like Lewis or like Evan Strangler Lewis used to, and that's the guillotine choke or the front face lock. Oh, okay. And... Um, that hold would actually be banned in the late teens. That's uh-huh. why Lewis started using the headlock. These, oh, okay. these are all work matches. Yeah. But Lewis, there's no doubt Lewis knew how to put it on for real if he wanted to. I was going to say. As a matter of fact, I'll put a picture with the show notes for this episode that you can go to kenzermanjr.com, episode 34, and I'll put the picture of Lewis with this guillotine choke on Ivan Linau. Okay. It's from the mid-teens before they banned the hold. Now, were they? Uh, did anybody ever give a reason as why is that that hold was banned? They thought it was too dangerous. I mean, they don't let you use a rear naked choke in police work anymore, right? Because too many police officers who either lack training or didn't know how to apply it properly, or overzealous. Yep, are way too overzealous. Mm-hmm. Held that on a carotid artery choke is the safest thing you can use unless. The only time it's dangerous when you're applying it is if someone is older, and I'm talking over a 65 or whatever. Yeah. You can actually <clears throat> cause the arteries here on the side of your neck uh-huh. to collapse. Oh, If gotcha. you're squeezing those and they're that old. Uh-huh. But on the type of people you're going to actually have to use that on, it's going to be somebody strong and probably young. Mm-hmm. It's the safest thing. You, it's the only thing I'd ever put on Trey because you you had to break Trey's arm. Trey will not trap to an arm lock. Right. Yeah. So I never even bothered trying to put one on him. But there's no tough guy with a choke. Yeah. You tap or you go to sleep, and if right. they let it go, within 10, 15 seconds, you're back to normal. Yeah. You know. Well, you slap him on the back of the neck, and but you don't even have to do that most of the time. Most of the time, when you let go, the blood that, that starts just, flowing they, yeah. again, and they just. It was just a good show. Yeah. Um, Normally, you don't even have to do that, but yeah. because people held them on too long and were killing people, because that's the only that's the only thing you can do wrong. Yeah, you can either put pressure on the uh, windpipe and crush the windpipe. Mm-hmm. But what was that was not what was killing people. What was killing people is you're holding them on. The guy is turning blue. Yeah, and if you deprive the brain of oxygen for too long, you kill the person. Well, yeah, and that's absolutely. why people were dying. It's because these guys were holding on unconscious people for minutes. Well, that's why people die of strokes. Yeah. It's because that it lodges and the brain's deprived yeah. of oxygen and blood. And but they, they've they always had this thing of being dangerous. Well, yeah, they're dangerous if you leave them on. You yeah. hold them on. Mm-hmm. But if you don't hold them on, it's the safest thing you can do to somebody. You could take... That's the only thing that will work on somebody who's high on PCP. Yeah. Nothing else will work on them. Well, I'm just wondering because, I mean, I've, I've seen Ed Stringer Lewis have this uh, hold applied, and the stuff they're doing now in wrestling is a lot more dangerous oh, than much, that. Much That's more, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, th- I can't remember if it was New York. One of the athletic commissions banned it, and then everybody else followed behind it. Uh-huh. And part of it was because they got the maneuver over. Nobody was really applying it, but they made it look so dangerous. Mm-hmm. Now, when Evan Lewis did it, and yeah. it was dangerous. Yeah. Sorokichi uh, Matsuda. Uh-huh. But when he, he was just selling how well, because uh, everybody would be like holding their throat after they you know, yeah. got up and everything. They sold it so well, they really believed it was more dangerous than uh-huh. it was. So, um, I just did the Eddie Schultz from April 8th. So, on April 17th, he rematches with Eddie Schultz in Lexington. The stranglehold this time is barred, but Lewis still won the match by taking two out of three falls. Okay. They're working. Yeah. On April 18th, Lewis rematched with William Demetrio in Louisville. Lewis won this match in two straight falls, which was very unusual. Yeah. Because they usually didn't do work matches in two straight falls. But you'll see later that Demetrio's going to get it back. Okay. And Lewis used the stranglehold to take the first fall. And this was controversial in the Kentucky newspapers. Because they were talking about Lewis was a good enough wrestler and a strong enough wrestler. Mm -hmm. That he did not have to use the stranglehold. Which they kind of looked at as a dirty hold. Uh Mainly because of how Evan Lewis had used it. Yeah. Well, and Evan Lewis was... Or, well, Evan Lewis and Ed Strangler Lewis. Both of them were... Were fairly stout gentlemen, so yeah. And Evan Lewis was just, just 
junkyard dog meme. Yeah. <laughs> so on April 28th, Charlie Olson comes back uh, to Kentucky for the third time, and he and Lewis wrestle for a third time. Mm-hmm. Lewis won this match in two straight falls. So pretty much, <coughs> Charlie Olson ain't going to go come back. Yeah. So they make Lewis look really, really strong before mm-hmm. he heads out. Now on May 5th, Lewis wrestles Frederick again. Bob Fredericks in Lexington. Uh-huh. Each man score a fall before resorting to rough tactics in the third fall. After a warning from the local police to knock it off, the Lexington police actually stopped this match. So it was a draw. Oh wow! So yeah, and I don't think I don't think they were smart. <laughs> I think they thought things were getting too rough and stopped it. I don't think they were in cahoots with the promoter. Yeah, and that happened more than people realized back. So when Joe Stecker, um, I I think we've covered the double cross before. Yeah, but when Zabisco double crossed Wayne Munn mm-hmm. in Philadelphia and took the title legitimately. Yeah. They had, and the match occurred on the same night. The first, the, the match between Stecker and Zabisco, who was the recognized world champion mm-hmm. in a couple of states, took place in St. Louis at Slew's Field. Oh, okay. They drew 17,000 fans. Oh, wow. Lewis wrestled, and the reason it was St. Louis because Tom Pax yeah. was in league with Stecker. <laughs> ah, gotcha. The St. Louis promoter. So, and I think Detroit. Lewis wrestled Munn because Munn was still recognized as the champion in two states, I think Illinois and somewhere else, because Billy Sandow pulled strings and made sure Zabisco wasn't recognized so everywhere. Illinois has always been a dirty state, is what you're telling me. <laughs> I will say that the Illinois Commission was definitely, and it's funny, it was so close to St. Louis. Uh-huh. But Michigan and Illinois, I think, still recognized Munn, and I think New York and somebody else recognized uh, Zabisco's title, which Pax was in league with Stecker. Yeah. So I guess Stecker, Stecker had, or uh, Pax had plenty of pull with the Missouri Commission, but I guess none with Illinois. No, in Illinois, yeah. So yeah, so Sandow um, pulled strings, and that match drew 15,000. Oh, wow. That's, that's but respectable they, back in yes. 1913, uh, geez. Well, no, this wasn't oh. 13. This was the double cross. Oh, so that would have been 25. 1925. But still, 1925, yes. that's still but a heck of a the crowd. business was dead for years. After. Yeah. That double cross, even though those matches drew well, uh-huh. it, it killed wrestling for a long time. They didn't get back into the over 10,000 crowds again, I don't think, until the early 30s. Okay. But... What I was saying was, Stecker wrestled Zabisco here, uh-huh. and <clears throat> that match ended on an injury to Zabisco. Oh, okay. And a separated shoulder. Mm-hmm. And the police arrested Stecker for uh, purposefully injuring Zabisco. So basically assault and battery. Yes. (laughs) And the only reason they let him go was Abisco said, no, 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 that was, I was injured accidentally. Yeah. It wasn't Stecker's fault. (laughs) Jeez. So they weren't smart into the fact that these guys were working it. So I don't think. Somebody needed to let the SLPD know that. Yeah. So I don't think the Lexington PD was smart either. Yeah. So now we're we're getting into May. On May uh-huh. 9th, Lewis rematched with William Demetrio in Louisville. This time, Demetrio won in two straight falls. He got his back. Got his back, yeah. Because Lewis was sick with indigestion. I'm just telling you what they reported. To the okay, paper. yeah. If I was, if we would have been on TV, if, if you, you would have seen my, if, you would have seen my you face. Could see Dan's face right now. <laughs> There's a strong look of disbelief. So. On May 14th now, it's when they bring in Dr. Roller. Uh-huh. And Lewis actually loses to Dr. Roller in two straight falls. Okay. He submits to the toehold at 48 minutes of the first fall. Uh-huh. And appears to be legitimately injured. Oh. Now, maybe, maybe not. Right. Know, it's a work. Yeah, they, they know how to work yet. Yeah. But it looks like he's legitimately injured, but he does come back out for the second fall which he loses in like a minute. Uh-huh. 
On May 21st, a week later, he wrestles a rematch with Bob Fredericks in Lexington. He still appears to be injured. Uh-huh. He took the first fall, but Fredericks took the last two. And after the first fall, which Lewis won with the stranglehold, and uh-huh. this is a work match. Yeah. He throws up several times in the ring and is still favoring the leg. So he might truly have been yeah. injured. Right. Um, we don't know. I don't know if he could throw up on command. I don't know. Well, draws could. but Draws could, but I don't think that's a well-distributed uh, skill. Yeah. Now, on June 6th, and four times is quite a lot, even if he's causing himself. Oh, yeah. On June 6th, Lewis wrestled a rematch with Jack Stone in Lexington. After three hours of exciting wrestling, the men agreed to a draw. Oh. You know, I think that was still a work. You know, I... Why would you wrestle for three hours and go for a work? Just wrestle for two. Right. Because the matches were longer back then. Two was right. more... I don't know if I ever told you, but my grandpa used to go to the wrestling matches with his Uncle Jules in the 1930s all the time. Uh-huh. Late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. And he said you would go down to the Coliseum, and they would get a hold on each other, and they'd be on the mat. Uh-huh. And his uncle would say, okay, let's go. They'd run across the street, grab a couple sandwiches, because uh-huh. he, Uncle Jules would be coming right from work. Yeah. Pick up grandpa, and they'd take the streetcar down to the Coliseum, uh-huh. which was downtown. They'd run across the street to get the food. They would come back, and Grandpa said they were, they'd were they be gone 10 minutes. The guys were still in the same place on the ring. Place, the, yeah. the match tended to go much longer. Yeah. And they, they were trying to make it look like actual wrestling matches, too. Yeah. But a three-hour draw seems a little excessive. And well, there was so much going on, I really do think they were working. In, in, in this day and age, that wouldn't work. No, nobody's going to. We, we don't have the attention leave. span. Yeah. yeah. One of the future uh, episodes, we're going to talk about a five-hour match. What's the, what's the contest? Uh-huh. That was one of the reasons they started working much more, because legitimate contests could sometimes be very long and very indecisive with very little action. Well, that's like some of the uh, the old bare-knuckle boxing. They would go 80 rounds, yep. 100 rounds. Yep, because... You know. If the person got knocked down or thrown, a lot of those bare knuckle fighters were really good wrestlers. Yeah, you get thrown, that ends the round. Yeah, and you had to toe to scratch, meaning when the rest period was over, you had to be back on the spot ready to fight. Yes, and that's a lot of times how that some guys couldn't come back to the scratch. That's how the fight was would end. Right. So on June seventeenth, so he wrestled on June sixth with Jack Stone on June seventeenth. So almost a month after he wrestles. Um, Dr. Roller, he wrestles him again. This time, Lewis wins the first fall with a stranglehold. Roller wins the next two falls, and Roller tells the Lexington newspaper that kid's a future world champion, which he was right about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you could tell Roller is trying to build him up. That's what he came in for. So, what do you think we had to end the month? Lewis versus Bob Fredericks. Uh-huh. We got to bring Fredericks back. Now is this in Paris or? Yep, this is the this oh, okay. is the match in Paris. So on June twenty six, Walls had run a show with Dimitro versus Fredericks a uh, month before that. Uh huh. And the show drew very well. So they uh, brought him back, but this time it was Lewis versus Fredericks. Right. Lewis won in straight falls with a stranglehold and then a referee's DQ of Fredericks in the second fall. Fredericks started doing the rough stuff. Yeah. So the referee disqualified him. So all of that, when we go through that, Lewis wrestled 20 matches in the first half of 1913. Right. 13 of those were in Lexington, where he and promoter Jerry Walls lived. Mm -hmm. Six were in Louisville, which was and is... <clears throat> the biggest city in Kentucky. Right. It's still the biggest city in Kentucky to this day. And wrestled the one time in Paris. Uh-huh. And we've already talked about the distances between the towns. Right. So you're already seeing, when you compare that with the Evan Strangler Lewis schedule, you're already starting to see that the advancements in transportation mm-hmm. and the building of professional wrestling as a spectator sport is allowing the wrestlers to wrestle a lot more uh-huh. and uh, to make uh, more money doing so because you're going to make more money wrestling 20 matches than you are nine. Well, yeah. That also helped 
increase the transition of the uh, professional wrestling mm -hmm. from more work to exhibit or more sport to exhibition because you had meant much fewer contests and much more exhibitions. Right. Exhibitions. I was just wondering, you know, just you know, driving a car from Pittsburgh to Philadelphia and into Boston and New York, like the guys up in the WWE. Could you imagine riding a train every other week, 80 miles back oh, yeah. and forth to... Yeah, you couldn't do the 350 days with the travel no. that they had back then, uh -huh. which is impossible. And think, the interstate highway system didn't come into being until the 1950s. Yeah. And it still took 30, 40 years for all those roads to really oh, be yeah. built out. I know in the 80s, they said in Mid-South, a lot of the roads in Louisiana... Mm-hmm. And um, Mississippi were still two-lane highway, you know, one lane going one yeah. way and not divided. So, you know, head-on collisions are always oh, something yeah. you're trying to avoid and everything. Mm -hmm. So it would not have been uh, easy to get around then. Think of how much harder it is to get around in 1913. Yeah, exactly. And how much harder even still it is to get around in 1886. Mm -hmm. You're going to big cities because you could get there. Right. If the trains don't run there... You don't and there's know. really no re other reliable. You're not going, right? So that's why I was surprised that in uh, 1913 he could be based out of someplace like Lexington, Louisville. Right. But it, it has to be train service. Yeah, Lexington, mm -hmm. I can't see anybody riding a horse-drawn carriage. Oh, yeah. miles all the time, right? Back and forth. Or some Model A, yeah. or something like that. Because you know? what roads in 1913? How many roads were built to take automobile traffic? Uh, no, you pretty much followed a horse trail or a. You know, right, like exactly. That. So, yeah, and hope it don't rain. Right. So we do have a review this week, but it's a really uh, short one. Yeah. Um, the next episode, we're actually going to review two matches. We're going to review a match with the person we're looking at today, um, Angelo Poffo, the father of Randy Savage and Lanny Poffo. Um, we're going to look at his match versus Wilbur Snyder. Wilbur Snyder was a much bigger star than who he wrestled this week. And we're also going to look at the Randy uh, Macho Man Savage versus Brett the Hitman Hart. So Dan's favorite wrestler from the ADR, favorite wrestler after uh, he emerged, Harley was his first. Mm -hmm. And then uh, my favorite wrestler from the 90s, Brett the Hitman Hart, in a match on Saturday night's main event from November of uh, 1987. It's available on Peacock. And we're going to review those two matches. But this, we just did a short one because we knew that with all the news and everything that this that was probably going to be a pretty long intro. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, the one we looked at was Angelo Pavo versus Jerry Christie from the 1950s in Chicago. Uh-huh. And this was a young Angelo Pavo. Jerry Christie was from a wrestling family. Uh, he's one of the lesser known of the family. but I still say he's the uh, illegitimate father of Bob Batman. He did look a lot like Bob Backlund. <laughs> and one of the, it's only six minutes, and about two minutes of that is Angelo Poffo putting his jacket away. I was waiting for him to take his bobby pins out. Yeah. Um, but I will say that there is a part of this match that's uh, obviously missing because it goes from Angelo Poffo going to tie up with Jerry Christie to being in the middle of Christie's comeback from something. Mm -hmm. So they, they obviously cut some of it away but this is from the 1950s we have a lot of the 1950s matches from Chicago uh, Fred Kohler was the Chicago promoter and he got national television when the network TVs really used a lot of wrestling to build up their fan base initially yeah so you had wrestling out of Hollywood but that was not an NWA territory right and then the wrestling out of Chicago and that was so controversial because of the territory system that I believe Kohler had to pay some money to the other NWA members so that they would be okay with him having a national television show. Right. But this match was from the 50s in Chicago, and it was Angelo Poffo versus Jerry Christie. What did you think about that? Um, I thought that uh, Angelo Poffo came out and did some, uh, some, did some traditional wrestling moves, and then he uh, started uh, grappling. And uh, when he finished his match, he used a neckbreaker, which was uh, 
you know, is, which is a pretty standard move nowadays. <laughs> to, yeah, you know. that, that's but, not going to be a finisher in very many uh, matches. No, but um, I I could see uh, I well, and like we discussed before, I saw neither Lanny or Randy uh, taking after their father's style right. of wrestling. Yeah, that's uh, that's the first thing that struck me is. I didn't really see a whole lot of Angelo and Lanny or Randy or vice versa. Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't look like they picked that much up from... The, I'm sure they picked up a lot of knowledge about the business. Oh, yes. But the wrestling styles, they all three had very distinct, unique wrestling styles. Mm-hmm. I have to admit, I never really took the Lanny Poffo style of wrestling. I didn't <sighs> find it very exciting. It's acrobatics. And and won't we, we've been over through this before. Oh, sometimes his move made no sense, Ken. Right, and that, that's you know, what, I think that's why I never really, yeah. because Randy was a high flyer at times, but his stuff made sense. Well, Randy's his finisher was an elbow off the top rope that yeah. made sense. Yeah, you know, but some of the stuff that like why is Lanny doing a cartwheel in the middle of the exactly? Is it just to to showboat? Is it to taunt? What's he? It doesn't make right. no sense. He's, he, he's supposed to be the good guy, and he's doing a cartwheel around, and it's just, yeah. I never did take to Lanny's. Uh, now today, his stuff would probably look a lot better in comparison to some of the other things. Oh God, yes. But I just never. But I loved Randy Savage. Not I as much as somebody you. Would, but, wish somebody would have taken Lanny's poems and stuck them right up <laughs> his laureate. Yeah, uh, those were some of the worst poems. I mean, I will say nothing was worse in '80s WWF. Than those horrible skits, <laughs> Fuji Vice, Fuji this, oh, yeah. Don Morocco, Fuji. Yes, there was nothing worse than that. Those were the worst things I ever saw. Oh my gosh! Yeah, but some of Lanny's poems were right up there with that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the worst thing I think I ever saw on a wrestling program was Fuji Vice, and it. It's like it went on forever too. It's like, oh yeah, this is terrible, and it just keeps going. And the the, the thing is, you know, Fuji was a big prankster. Yeah. So he was probably like, let's do this and draw it out and just <laughs> until Vince forces us to stop. Right. <laughs> I don't even think Bobby Heenan liked it. <laughs> no, he would he would put it over like oh this was great stuff but you could tell oh my goodness I'm never going to get that time of my life back and monsoon you know uh, and and maybe you know this can be a a topic sometime down the road but you know I always thought Gorilla Monsoon was perhaps one of the most underrated big wrestlers in his time yes and I still think that he is also underrated as an announcer. People make fun of his, you know, hanging off the rafters and some of the same comments. He's also the one that gave Bret Hart his nickname, The Excellence of Execution. Yes. Mm-hmm. He and Bobby together were what made them so great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, Bobby was hilarious. Bobby was, but you needed Gorilla there playing the straight, straight. man mm-hmm. and everything. And. It used to crack me up how Bobby would break Gorilla up when Gorilla was supposed to be disgusted with him. And oh, start, yeah. Gorilla would start laughing, but then Gorilla got Bobby. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> so, but, you know, uh, Gorilla Monsoon, when he was wrestling, he was a big man. Oh, he was the most credible opponent for Bruno San Martino in his yeah. first run in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And you know what, what got me is, um, I believe it was WrestleMania two where they had the... Uh, Battle Royal with some of the uh, NFL guys. Yep, that was WrestleMania 2. Bruno San Martino was in that Battle Royal. Yep, in his uh, 50s. And yeah, and you know what? Still looked like a brick, you know oh, what? Yeah, yeah. Not somebody you'd want to mess with. No. Um, Dick the Bruiser, we were talking about earlier, in his 50s, he still looked like somebody you didn't want to mess with. Yeah. But he did not have the muscle that he had when he was young. Mm-hmm. Bruno was pretty stout still. Yeah. Um, and even when he was in his 70s, he had cut down from the 270s to about 215, 220. Mm-hmm. He still looked great. Oh, I know he did. And the man never took a steroid in his life. And no. he bench pressed 565 pounds. Whew. 
crazy. Man, that is crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. Speaking of crazy, I think that people, if anybody's still around, they're like, are, are these guys going to end the show? Right. <laughs> yeah, this was kind of, we kind of uh, got long-winded on this one. Yeah, as I've always said, historians tend to uh, wax philosophical. And yes. We kind of went far afield in this episode. And uh, But I think we've was... insulted about as many people as we could possibly insult this yeah. week. Well, and you know, both of us are uh, history buffs. Yeah. Uh, different eras, but still history buffs. Yeah. So, yeah, um, you know, but uh, you say we insulted just about everybody we could, but did they deserve it? Well, I would say probably most of them deserved okay. it. Okay. All right. We might have got a couple of people that didn't deserve <laughs> it, but I think most of the people that we, we insulted deserved it. Okay. And I did say a couple nice things about Tony Khan. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if I don't want to lose my lunch or my breakfast doing that. Well, I, I, I thought it was apropos. I, I thought we were a little hard on him. He's trying. Well, you know, sometimes he's very trying. Like, you, yeah, like you said, though, he's he's running that show from a fan's point of view. Yeah, he's he's not he's not running it like a, a wrestling booker or a. Uh-huh. Executive, he's running it like a fan that gets to hang out with the people he's always admired. Yeah, it'd be like me and you getting to manage our favorite NFL teams. Yeah, they would be in big trouble. Yeah, they would. Uh huh. So I think that's it for this episode. If it was almost real, I don't know what else we could beat to death this week. <laughs> Next episode, we'll look at Jack Pfeffer exposing the work nature of professional wrestling in 1933. A lot of people think that if you know this comes out that it's uh, worked. Mm-hmm. That it kills the business, but that's not generally been the case. It might hurt it a little bit, yeah, but it normally doesn't sink the business as much as people thought. Uh huh. Um, so if you want to check out the show notes, as I said before, kenzimmerjr. dot com slash episode thirty four. Um, you can also see what I'm currently working on if you go to kenzimmerjr. dot com. And thank you for listening today. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.